Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Rafal, and I'd like to welcome everyone to my Hatshot and Portrait Photography podcast. Today, I have a special guest, Craig Minelli. I hope I say your last name properly. Um, we've Minelli, been friends. Minelli. Yeah. Minelli. Close Minelli. enough. That's good. Close enough. Um, we've been friends for many, many years. We've bumped into each other on so many different occasions. I've been following your work. Uh, for quite some times, you've done so many different projects, you know, big ones, small ones, movies, um, underwater photography, um, you name it, you've done it. And um, I always was impressed how versatile you are and, and you know, how many incredible projects you participate in. And first of all, thank you for accepting the invitation for my podcast. Uh, I I always love chatting with you because you have always interesting perspective on so many things. Also, you're, as you can see from the cup, you're Nikon ambassador. So you also, I hope you're going to share some insights, what's happening in that part of, you know, um, photography industry. You've got a lot of, lot of probably interesting information. So, yeah, thank you for, for joining. And, um, well, my first question to you is, you know, what's happening in our industry? It seems like it's all over the place. A lot of things change. The, the changes are so drastically, which are happening constantly. And, you know, I have, I don't know how about you, but I have a hard time to follow up with some of those stuff. I feel like I'm getting really old and I'm just kind of those youngsters are taking over and, I'm not saying I'm scared yet, but, you know, they breathing our neck and, you know, this whole thing is look completely different than it looks even like five, ten years ago. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's always fun. It's never boring. It's uh, gone through all sorts of changes. And uh, I mean, you've got recessions, you've got COVID. There's all sorts of reasons to think that something's not going to work. But at the end of the day, if you're having fun at it and you're doing got some cool clients, then it's always worthwhile uh, starting the next day, playing with the camera and uh, having fun on the next shoot. It's mm-hmm. kind of the way I tend to look at it. Absolutely. So let me kind of step back, um, you know, like because you've been in this industry for many, many years, you've seen it, you know, I, I'm guessing you started with film a long time ago. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, I shot couple weddings when I started with film and I thought it was disaster. Like even, even though like I got the shots and everything, but then when the, the digital kind of was introduced and as you remember, the beginning also was kind of harsh with the quality, all this stuff, but somehow we, we were able to, well, looking even 10 years ago and today what it's happening, it's, it's kind of completely a different story, but I want to start with like, how did you get into photography? Like what's your story? Cause I never heard, that part um like what was the first kind of i guess i i sort of snuck through the back door or actually the darkroom door really because uh, as a kid of nine years old we moved across the country and moved again another few years later and being in a new city actually in calgary uh, okay. and uh, not knowing anyone, I just happened to dig through some boxes in the garage, and I found my dad's old darkroom stuff. Okay. And I started doing, you know, playing around with some of that uh, stuff that I'd found, and old paper and bits, and 
guy across the street, uh, just talking with him, he was also interested. And so next thing you know, the two of us built a dark room and started uh, having fun with black and white and then taking pictures of my friends uh, skateboarding and selling them prints for 50 cents each. Uh, oh, wow. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, uh, had you know, one of my mom's old cameras before I broke it and took some pictures of uh, some landscape got commissioned to do some pictures for a bank oh wow! and okay. then while i was doing that uh, came across a boat rescue in progress and this is now in the ontario oakville area mm -hmm. did some shots of that and just happened to be wandering by the looked up and saw i was outside the newspaper and wandered in and said hey i got some shots for you and next thing you know i was published no oh, wow. okay. uh, when i was 13 years old wow so from there, just kind of uh, had a feel and a taste for the press experience and got hired from the newspaper when I was actually 15 mm -hmm. and worked there for five, six years, uh, going to college in that time span and then segued from there into commercial, industrial. and But I've always had a editorial background and mm -hmm. eye towards uh, that type of story. So yeah, so basically kind of normal experience for everybody, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it, that's fascinating because everyone who I talk to, they always get this kind of starting point from their parents, from dad, who was a photographer or, you know, had some kind of old equipment and then people kind of jump on it. The same story happens to me, like my dad, who was like a amateur photographer, you know, having little dark room and, and you know, developing film. And I remember back in the days, you know, this whole thing was so expensive that you know before we even push the button like we had to just double check everything make sure everything is you know working and you know like i was living that time you know back in poland so roll of film was so expensive that every every frame has to be you know properly kind of you know framed and then then we have to take care of all of this stuff where you know the digital came in and this whole thing kind of went completely off the table that you know nobody cares how many sh shots we're taking these days it's just you know you just keep going until you get the shot but i think that's also taught me a little bit more respect to you know when you push the button and then you just kind of always think in the back of your head okay, if this is right you know it's not just like a stupid pushing the button all the time right so yeah it's... And I think the youngster these days, they don't really kind of, oh, well, first of all, they don't remember those days and they don't have that kind of tension, which which we had, you know, with, with taking photos. It was like, I think also photography back in the days was something very exclusive. Like there's not too many photographers, right? There's like, you know, few in the city and they like take, take care of all the, all this, you know, pictures and stuff but not everyone was like able to even buy cameras because they were so expensive i remember my dad bought this canon camera and he i don't remember how how many years he was saving for that and you know everything was cleaned up always polished put in the you know box and oh, stuff yeah. so. <laughs> i was that little kid that showed up at the camera store uh hanging over the counter staring down at uh, what was new at the time the nikon fm before I was finally able to save enough to go in and, uh, and buy that. So that, uh, you know, been there, done that. 
And even with uh, film, I mean, when I had my first weekend assignment from the newspaper, I was so excited as, you know, 15 years old. My dad had to drive me there. It was a hockey tournament over the weekend. And I can remember I'd shot, I think it was like nine or 11 rolls of film because here I was shooting for the paper and the film was free and, you know, I had just to do stuff. And then I got uh, into the darkroom and a couple of the uh, full timers were there and it was all, you know, kind of strutting and proud that I had all sorts of darkroom work to do. And they said, oh yeah, what? I mentioned that I had, you know, I think it was like 11 roles and they were both kind of looked at each other and they're shaking their heads and they're going, okay, yeah, that's, uh, it's a little excessive, but yeah, he'll learn because whether you're dealing with film or digital, if you shoot it, you got to deal with it. And mm -hmm. believe me, going through processing, you know, upwards of a dozen rolls of film when I really could have done the whole thing on two, even just in terms of the choice of tanks you had to use in the darkroom. The largest one was mm -hmm. eight. So, you know, you got to expand onwards from there and then you got to go through and edit and select and mm -hmm. figure out what's good and what's not. So, yeah, you, you learn pretty quick to uh, think about what you're doing and uh, yeah. whether it's film or digital. Yeah. But also I remember with film, there was maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but like I felt like it was a little bit more excitement, the waiting time, right? Because you have to process the film. You have to wait. You have to make yeah. sure everything kind of works together. And then you get the, you know, film, which was processed, and you kind of look closely. This is work or this didn't work. So I remember there, like, you could stare at one frame for maybe not hours, but like you were want to make sure that everything kind of, you know, worked well. And then you just... The, the, I think the excitement was like much, much greater back in the days than it's because now you just take a shot, you look at it and you already know what, what what's happening, right? Back in the days, you know, like you, you take the shot and you have to wait till you develop the film. Sometimes, you know, it might take weeks even, right? Yeah. So, well, it was, again, I'd be doing, uh, again, as a part-time, I'd be working at the local junior B uh, hockey rink for a couple of periods and then going out and shooting the third. And I'd already been uh, published a number of times and they were giving me the film and uh, the writers uh, would be there and, you know, some play would happen in front of the net and, you know, I'd have the camera on and I'm 90% certain that it's in focus, but mm -hmm. the writer would look at me and he'd say, Hey, did you get that? And I would say, Oh yeah, I got it. And he says, all right, I know what I'm running with, uh, you know, come the next week. Uh, mm -hmm. And if I wasn't sure, he says, okay, well, you know, let me know when it's processed, which would be over the next couple of days. But mm -hmm. you still know when you press the shutter mm -hmm. whether you got it. Uh, and sure, you're not able to have instant confirmation like you did in digital. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's definitely that anticipation, you know, right up until – you know, the film comes out, it's still wet and you're uh, sliding through it, uh, just looking for that frame, you know, is there and mm -hmm. uh, you get the loop out and you go, yes, yes. yes I got it. it. So, yeah. Yeah. So what was your transition? Like, were you one of those guys who like easily kind of go through, you know, film to digital or you were like, you know, screaming and kicking, you don't want to kind of do a digital because I like I talked to a couple of photographers and then, you know, they said that they have a hard time to transition. Like they they were just kind of holding the film as long as they could. And then when this whole thing just become, 
you know, kind of, okay, there's no other option for me. I have to switch it. So what was the transition was, for you? I was you? probably at the front end of that. They called that the bleeding edge because uh, nothing okay. was cheap. Uh, when I bought my first computer, uh, that was when people weren't even sure if Apple was going to be around. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so, you know, I got the power PC, which cost me $8,000 uh, for an 80 megahertz machine. Wow. And yeah. I got 150 meg of RAM with it at uh, 50 bucks a meg. So that was $7,500. So 15,000 bucks on a computer. Uh, at the time, it was myself and the largest lab in Toronto. Uh, mm -hmm. We had the same computer. We were the only ones out there that did for a short period anyway. Um, but yeah, I was, I was experimenting right from the start when uh, Nikon came out with one of its first um, point and shoot digitals. I experimented mm -hmm. with how to use that on a commercial job and okay. I was able to do so. I did do a lot of uh, tricks and cheating to get it to do, but I had a commercial project which uh, was in studio that I would shoot four by five transparencies on and it was problematic on its lighting and things and i thought okay i'm gonna see and so i had to trick the camera to be able to work with the studio flash and the uh mm -hmm. printed resolution was within the specs of what the camera could capture uh but i thought okay you know this is interesting mm -hmm. and got a scanner and i would be scanning my own uh film or transparency and even okay. back then uh i actually got into in many cases, it was arguments with art directors and stuff, because depending on the project, I would get better results. I know they would get better results if mm -hmm. I shot negative film and then scanned that as opposed to shooting transparency and scanning mm -hmm. that because you had a greater latitude and uh, shadow detail elements, especially in architectural work. Mm -hmm. uh, so I resisted getting the very first Kodak uh, and mm -hmm. phase cameras that you know, you know, like fifteen thousand or sixty thousand dollars for the system. Um, but I got the Nikon D1, pre-ordered mm -hmm. that long before it was available, and put that into mainstream use uh, right away. So I was, I mean, as a commercial photographer, we tended to be, you know, the looking back on it it was about seven years ahead of the portrait and wedding uh mm -hmm. photography crowd in terms of our digital changeover or uh, first exposures if you will and um there was some people from fuji that were saying at the time that they wished i had shot with fuji because they said as far as they knew i was the first one to shoot a wedding digitally uh, oh wow anyway. okay so did you and, work with nikon at that time like did or I've always been a Nikon Close. photographer. I've looked right. My very mm -hmm. first camera was Nikon. I never looked back. I always, you know, love what they do and how they hold up for how I do what I do. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never been, you know, one to be holding back on the weather or where I go. And so I've always uh, appreciated that the Nikons can keep up with me. Mm -hmm. uh, and when digital came around, uh, Nikon, I, they were down the road from well relatively in Toronto and mm -hmm. they would have equipment and they'd say here uh, play with this and tell us what you think whether it was a film mm -hmm. scanner or some things uh, so I've always been uh, part of their consulting and reach out team 
Okay. And uh, so, anyways, back to your original question. I was definitely at the front end of the digital, and you had mm -hmm. to figure out everything. Uh, there was no at one point, you know, it was two and a half minutes per raw exposure just on the conversion mm -hmm. to see it to be able to sh decide what the image was and whether it was in focus or otherwise. And it was a big deal when, you know, there was a program that broke the one minute barrier on converting a raw file to a visible JPEG that your browsers could do, mm -hmm. you know? And so I've been involved in uh, dealing with uh, Apple and Adobe and mm -hmm. uh, photo mechanics and all of those ones, all those companies just at their front end of the digital camera experience. It's been fun. Uh, it's been painful and certainly expensive, yeah. but you know, it's just sort of the nature of the beast. Absolutely. So, over the last, you know, because when the digital was introduced, like twenty years ago, something like that, more than that, right? Like was yeah, even, early nineties. Early nineties. Yeah, Photoshop. So, I had a version. I think it was two, where there was no undo you want to talk about commitment issues try taking something that you're going to paste into an image and as soon as you drop it that's it no undo no layers no nothing yeah. uh you want to be really sure of what you're doing so yeah then you know part of the fun back then yeah well this whole thing so evolved over the last you know well three decades that i think people they have no idea how this whole thing even started and then you know because if you think about it if the first digital was 30 years ago let's say 25 when kind of hit the, the 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 big market it's still like you know some people were not even born yet right and then now the the shooting and all this stuff so yeah. so how was like um so what i want to ask about you know like looking at the 25 years um you know, like, what was the, the biggest challenge when it comes to the digital? Um, I would say the biggest challenge on digital then is the same it is, as it is now, and that's time management. How to, you know, get, get through the job that you're tasked with photographing, and then your computer time that follows. Uh, one, to make sure that, you know, you don't, spend twice as long at the computer as you do behind the camera and two to make sure that you have a business sense enough to charge for that and mm -hmm. keep your equipment current and uh, not uh, not be subject to you know a client expectation saying well it's digital it's free why are you charging me for retouching or for a file output or something so the challenges are to be able to get to sleep at the end of your day when not getting stuck with a mountain of work that still needs to be done through yeah. and run through the computer. Absolutely. I found, you know, this whole thing was just kind of like up and down because I remember, I don't even how many years that, you know, the, the manufacturer, which were making cameras, you know, they, they, the, the files got bigger and the computers couldn't run it. You know, like there was issues with everything was slowing so slow that the computer has a hard time to process those shots right now yep. i think we kind of back where um you know the computers kind of went on the top and then you know it's much much easier to to deal with some of those um files 
So it's interesting how this whole thing is, you know, up and down, right? And I'm guessing the future is going to be kind of the same that, you know, the, 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 the companies which makes cameras, they're going to come up with something that the computer is going to have a hard time to handle. I know right now the video is kind of, you know, very strongly coming into the market. Um, but with the files, I think we reached the kind of level where computers don't have as much difficult times as it used to. I remember sometimes, you know, like I got some files and my computer was just just getting red from, you know, <laughs> trying to process, let's say, like 40 layers or something, you know, like I could see that it's just barely making. But so, yeah, well, I mean, if you think about if I did a business portrait in studio back then, mm -hmm. uh, I would have to transfer, you know, I'd do maybe 30 shots, uh, 50 shots, and then I'd have to transfer that to the computer. That would take, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. And then I would have to, because there wasn't the raw programs to read off the files or mm -hmm. even just to look at what was there. Um, I would work with JPEGs um, because again, shooting transparency, you learn to get it right in camera. Uh, but if I was dealing with raw or something, I mean, each file itself would take a minute and a half to process before you could get to a viewable mm -hmm. stage. Wow. And now, uh, I mean, with the new, uh, with the Nikon mirrorless while I'm shooting on uh, film sets, uh, I can preview my images in camera. I can rate them uh, right off of the back while I'm looking through the viewfinder. I can mm -hmm. decide, yeah, this is a this is a great shot. I'm going to give it a three star or here's a five star. I get to scroll through, assign that rating stuff through there. I plug my camera into my laptop live uh, using the USB-C and it comes up and I can transfer the files over uh, in just, you know, a couple of minutes for a couple of hundred images mm -hmm. that now they're on my laptop. I've, if I haven't rated them all, I can go through, I can rate them right then. Mm -hmm. uh, I can instantly see and uh, assign that. So even while I'm out on the film set, I'm still ahead of the game with my workflow. Mm -hmm. uh, so that if I do things right on set, I just simply come back to the studio. I plug in the portable drive. That was my backup on set. And now I plug that into my desktop system. And my editing and my culling is already done. Uh, I do a quick uh, treatments with Lightroom overall. I spit mm -hmm. out my uh, JPEGs for the upload to the gallery, and then I upload the JPEGs in the RAW to the two separate folders that are required by the studios, and I'm done. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, with 45 megapixel files. Uh, uh, compared to what was 2.3 megapixel way back yeah. when. So the the time difference and now the cameras are smart where they're working with us and giving us the options built into the cameras at the time. So learning those opportunities and how to maximize them to your benefit mm -hmm. uh, definitely is a real treat these days. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, the, the, as you said, you know, like speeding up the, the process of evaluating and transferring those files can save you so much time. Right. Because, yeah. you know, like if you have to spend hours and hours waiting for 
downloading those shots. It's and then it's like if you if you run a lot of projects, you know this this time adds, adds up, right? And then instead five six hours, you spend ten to to twelve hours to just dealing with some of those stuff. So, totally, absolutely. So let's switch the gears, and I want to talk to you. And then and, and before we jump on the podcast, um, we talk a little bit about the business side of photography. Sure. So I want to kind of jump on that because. As I mentioned, I've listened to some of your uh, keynotes, speaking engagement, and you talk very passionately about, you know, the business side. So let's kind of, I don't want to go back. Like, I just want to look at what's happening right now. So what is the biggest challenge right now for photographers to, to, to run the business based on your experience? Uh, I would say the biggest challenge is probably the same one that has always been around where people's mm -hmm. perception that everyone's giving it away for free, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, how to charge for that mm -hmm. charge against that, I should say. Um, so that comes down to your attitude and how you educate your clients. And sometimes you get a fire client, uh, mm -hmm. because you know, if they're just, price shopping until they get to the lowest bottom, yeah. the bottom of, then you know what, have a nice ride. I'm not going to be there. And, uh, you know, you get what you pay for. Mm -hmm. uh, so at an early stage, I had a section on my website because some of the questions I got were so repetitive that I was getting in the way of my own professionalism because I was picking up a lot of attitude about, you know, this is why I charge you for an output file. Stop arguing with me. This is the price. Mm -hmm. So I had a section on my website that for all of the common Q&A. So when I was dealing with clients, either in a quote or an email or a discussion, rather than go over the same things over and over, I would direct them to that page and they could educate themselves on the information that I provided there for them. And ultimately, it's for the client's benefit. Uh, and I'm quite comfortable if there's somebody that's going to be charging very cheaply because all they do is establish the bottom end and you make yourself look good accordingly with regards to what you produce, the service that you provide and the benefits that you bring to your client, whether it's a portrait or a wedding or, uh, you know, an event. Um, there's always people that are going to be doing it for free, but learn your gear, learn how to solve problems for your clients make them look good and they will appreciate what you can do for them uh, and they'll see the value that you bring to the table with what you shoot how they look better for it uh, and how that becomes a good symbiotic experience for both of you mm -hmm. so my question to you is like in your opinion you know like this photographers who like trying to get into this industry because that's the, i think the biggest problem because that's how they try to establish themselves by low prices they try to you know kind of do everything what they can to grab those clients for you know minimum amount of money uh but do those people affecting your business or you were like long enough in this industry so you've built your clientele to the point that you know these people they're not affecting you at all like do you feel that there might might be a kind of threat to you or this is something that you just don't worry at all about it um, well, I've experienced both. I mean, they're, for starters, we were all there at one point. 
So there's an understanding in place uh, mm-hmm. in terms of what uh, they're not the enemy. They're just simply the next phase. And uh, in terms of, you know, bringing them on board to assist or to be able to look after jobs mm-hmm. that you can't or, you know, work with you. Uh, that's, that's all, it's a natural process. Mm-hmm. I've had some commercial clients where they said, yeah, you know what? Someone's charging a lot less for what you did. We got to give them a go. And I say, okay, that's fine. And I had a major client that uh, it took almost two years to get back uh, because they went through that process and they saw the, what it cost them uh, in mm-hmm. terms of what, you know, the images, the service in between, the problems that, and they came back. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, over time that can happen. Uh, it's a little tougher to deal with on the short term. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being able to have the communication with your client with regards to what they need so that the services that you have and the products that you invest in, whether it's being able to do business portraits on location and your client can see right away, mm-hmm. if you've got someone in HR that's you know got you doing a dozen portraits, and are you going to be able to have your clients review them, you know, your subjects, I should say, review them right away, be able to pick what they like or see that they like what's there? Mm-hmm. Or are they going to have to go through another process to see them and a lot of back and forth? And your client can say, you know what? I bring Craig in. He does the shots uh, and they're done right the first time. Everybody's happy. We move on as opposed mm-hmm. to someone that has to have five or six points of contact to do with the same job then you know they like what they see that way yeah Uh, so it comes down to making it easier for your client Mm -hmm. uh, and you're able to back up your price point yeah Uh, it's worth it to them yeah i also think you know sometimes well i'm not saying all of them but i think some companies they don't realize that hiring the wrong person might cost them way more than hiring the right person you know what i mean and it's it's I had the situations too where, you know, they said, well, you know, you're too expensive. We're going to hire someone cheaper. And this whole thing kind of went sideways and they have to just start over and, you know, just start process from the scratch. And they said, well, you know, we, now we have to pay double for, you know, for the stuff, what we kind of planned to. So I, I think that, you know, sometimes, as you said, for the, for the short run, it's, it's, it's kind of, heartening and it's like oh my god you know like that's not good but you just d- don't know how this whole thing unfolds in the future and then what might happen right so so it's interesting well i think we can all empathize uh with the business owner the restaurant that you know they want to have some shots of their food but they don't have the money and so they have bad photography of the food and you're looking at it and you're thinking yeah, yeah. that little blue tint and green color off bit to that steak dinner just isn't doing it for me and yet the owner of the restaurant thinks they save some money and that that's a good idea or some marketing person in between so educating your client and having and you gotta realize that not everybody sees things the way that we do or the benefit uh, of getting it right the first time uh, Mm -hmm. or the costs that go along with screwing it up on the first impression so uh, having the right dialogue points, you know, someone saying, 
Okay, what's it going to cost me to do? Okay, what are you, what's your project? What are you doing? Okay, uh, well, that seems like a lot. You go, all right, well, who's your competition? What, what do their images yeah. look like on their website? Uh, because that's what your public is going to see. And if all of the competition has bad photographs, okay, it's kind of tough to justify or it's easy to sell them on how they can look differently uh, mm -hmm. than their competition. Um, but if you make them aware of how they should be, rather than saying, we only have a budget of $1,000, well, this is your first exposure to the public. Do you really want to look bad when the first time someone walks in and see pictures of food on the wall that this is what they can expect to appear on their plate? So a lot of it is, you know, knowing the right questions to ask of your clients so you can give mm -hmm. them the appreciation of what they should be trying to achieve when they hire you, whether it's a business portrait for their website mm -hmm. or food or architectural experience. I recently had a job for the airport out here where it actually involved all of the above. There was food, there was architecture, there was uh, people that were involved in there. I gave them a fair quote and didn't hear back. And they, you know, uh, they've gone with somebody that's cheap and it's going to show. And it was an odd experience because there was an agency involved. There was people from the company involved. And yet when I went and looked at some of their other installations, I saw bad photography. It's like, mm -hmm. oof. and yet, you know, in their pitch, they were, you know, using stock photos that were all high caliber stuff. But then when you go and see their website, you're thinking, yeah, yeah. oh, well, you know, all you can do is uh, keep your standards so mm -hmm. that you're comfortable with what you do. And if you want to help out somebody and say, you know, look, here's, okay. here's, this is normally a thousand dollar job, but I'm happy to do it for half that price uh, in this instance. But you want to make them aware as to what the price point should mm -hmm. be on that. Uh, and rather than going in with a cheap quote, knowing that they're off, you're offering them a discount off of your regular rate, they're aware of what the rate should be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let me kind of dive deeper into this. So how this process looks on, on your end, like how you educate your clients. So let's say someone comes in and they, hey, I'm looking to, let's say, do this project. Um, like, are you meet with these people or you try to like, like how the process look like? I'm, I'm really interesting because, you know, as you said, the education is a huge part of negotiations, right? And I think if you can present them you know, all the benefits and then everything what's going to make this project, you know, go smoother. They're going to get better shots. They can, you know, whatever, use them for specific purposes. How this whole thing looks on, on your end, like what's your approach to new, you know, potential client who's coming your way? Well, obviously COVID changed the way we all do business mm -hmm. um, where you might've had an in-person experience uh, or even working something into a meeting when you're flying across the country and you're meeting with new people that way, just to mm -hmm. put, you know, the personal experience to the business dialogue. Now it's mainstream for people to have Zoom meetings um, mm -hmm. and tie people in from different cities. So having your ability to, you know, express what you need to, having a strong backup presence with regards to the website and quality images and uh, so that you can refer to the service elements 
mm-hmm. and opportunities because ultimately it always comes down to what does the client see as their benefit in going with you uh, mm-hmm. versus their boss's nephew or yeah. you know whatever um, so having being able to back up what you're talking about is where the benefit comes in and sure that can be challenging when you're newer but that's mm-hmm. where you've got some of your assignments and you you can you can control your own website presence mm-hmm. And certainly, as much as I'm aggravated by uh, Instagram these days, you know, a lot of people look at that to get a feel for what you are uh, mm-hmm. as a photographer or what you can do for your client. Uh, I kind of go the opposite way because I've invested my time in my website mm-hmm. and chasing social media to be the next popular trend or you know whatever. I'm, I, I don't have time for that. Uh, I'll keep up with it to an extent, but I don't want someone, I'm not expecting someone to evaluate me based on my social media stuff. I, that's mm-hmm. why I've got my website. So whichever way, one or the other, uh, you get your client's attention um, and then you sell yourself and the opportunity to them. Mm-hmm. So did you find, because I, I don't know, like for me, the best client is client who comes from some kind of referral And those are the clients which, you know, like, you. well, I'm not saying you don't have to negotiate. Like, it's mo- like 99% is a done deal. That's what I found. Like, if someone refers my my services to someone and they, ha- they, they, they have a chance to work with me, it's automatically like the chances to get the contract or, you know, project is much, much quicker. So, um, so the point I want to make is that, you know, the, the more the better service you provide to work with more clients, then this opportunity start kind of coming in more frequently. And, um, you know, if someone put good word after you, it just completely changes the game. Absolutely. That's why having your own standards and sticking to them is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and client service is everything. Uh, because if the client remembers a happy experience, uh, that's what their takeaway is. And they're, they're more than happy and encouraged to pass that on to others. Mm-hmm. So whatever, I get a lot of referral work now with some of the uh, movie work and related uh, elements that come along. Um, and I'm new to that industry just within the mm-hmm. last year or two. And yet I'm getting referrals from people that have been in it for 20 and 30 years. Wow. So having your standards and not, not necessarily being a dick about it mm-hmm. in terms of the dialogues or what you may have. But if you don't value your work and the service levels that you provide, how can you expect anybody else to? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So presenting those, upholding those, and even if you need to, you know, set aside the dollars for the moment to make sure that your client gets through their project, things go south, something happens, You know, you, you work with them and you make them a success. That's their takeaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you've got a price point where you've got one image, a package on a, again, using a business portrait as an example, uh, the company's paying for the portrait session. They've got, you know, you have one image that's included. Everything else is an upsell. Uh, and yet they bring in a casual change 
-hmm. of clothes and you give them a free image of them in their casual outfit, which they use as their wedding anniversary gift or, you know, something for their personal side. Now you've helped them personally outside of the business realm. Didn't cost you anything to be nice and mm -hmm. offer them something extra. Uh, so their takeaway is that you're somebody they like to work with and you're somebody that mm -hmm. one makes them look good. Two is easy to work with and three provides added benefit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let me change the subject a little bit and let's talk about your work a little bit because you've done so many very, very interesting projects. And I know you could spend probably weeks here talking about them, but is there any special project you've done? Because you like I, you know, if everyone would go to your website, you could see there's underwater photography. There is some, you know, from movie sets, you photograph some celebrities. Could you just kind of maybe pick one or two projects which kind of is close to your heart and then something which was really exciting for you? Um, I love lighting. I love mm -hmm. going in and, you know, dealing with the, what is it, the sow's ear and creating the silk's purse, uh, to use an old, old expression. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the lighting challenges, I want to be excited about the shots that I get on my own. And I was kind of laughing the night before last, no, night before last. It was about midnight on a film set. And I had to take the number one and number two actors and get a couple, you know, a portrait of them in the dark in the middle of nowhere. And I had to work with some of the lights that were, you know, hanging around. Um, and as I was stepping back, I almost stepped on a pile of lights that were just off in the dark and they were, an old string of um, of kind of like Christmas lights. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remembered a shot that I did years ago where I had to go into a broadcast uh, studio for satellite TV where they had this room that literally looked like NASA. And there was 30 different screens on the wall. There was all sorts of uh, glare protectors. It was a dark thing. It was... And uh, I had to shoot for that client for they wanted to show how high tech they were. And I'm looking in thinking, how do I even light this? Because any light you put in there would reflect and take away from what you had to do in the first place. And I thought, OK, hang on. It was circular and there was a railing. And I went to Canadian Tire and I bought, I think, 20 strings of 100 foot lights, Christmas lights that were clear. And I wound them back and forth and back and forth on the floor and below the railing level. There's a train going by. I hope you can hear me okay. Yeah. Um, and I created this glow from below that was able to light up the whole area and then allow the screens to come through. And I've still got, I think it's about 600 feet of Christmas lights that are, I, I have no idea whether I can get the bulbs again, uh, <laughs> that are still being used on movie sets or something there because it comes down to an innovative solution. And that was shooting on the transparency, never mind digital. Uh, so lighting that up and coming up with that cool look was part of that uh, experience. Um, a shot on my website with Gene Simmons. He's apparently yes. notorious for uh, not being cooperative. And mm -hmm. I had to uh, get some shots with him 
that tied into a magazine and the magazine was called Pi Magazine. And it was as a follow-up images to go with an interview. And in talking with the author, they said, you know, I said, what were some of the key points in this? And he said, well, you know, one of the questions that we asked uh, Gene was, what's his, what's his favorite food for after, after sex or whatever way they referred to it? And his answer was that, you know, before, during, and after, he loves desserts. Okay. And I was like, hmm. All right, so I've got to go to this thing. You know he doesn't want to do this photo session. Uh, and so I just stopped and I picked up a big-ass pie. You know, rhubarb, cherry, something. It was red. It was monstrous. It was, you know, all sorts of things. And I brought that to the session. So, you know, we had our lighting and it's like, okay, this is like the biggest rock star in the world. So I had some lighting ideas. And they were a little uh, definitely on the edgy side and we were set up in the convention center and he was there was an event that was there and our prime minister was there and he was about an hour late uh, for the session time that had been set up because he wanted to meet our prime minister and so you know we'd kind of gone from waiting to looking around to kind of wandering around until all of a sudden he was there and it was like oh and he was there with his wife and, you know, he's like, okay, yeah, great. And he gets on set and he's like, boom, 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 pose, pose, pose. Saying, yeah, you got what you need? And I said, yeah, I got, but I want to do something. And he's like, wait, what? Sorry, what are you talking about? And so I said, I've got this pie and I'd like to take a shot of you eating the pie. He's like, seriously? And I said, yeah, here we go. Cool. I'm nice going to show done. this. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, he said, uh, well, if you got a plate, we can cut a th And I said, no, no, no. I want you with the pie. And his wife, I didn't even realize, Shannon Tweed was standing beside me. And it took me a while to clue in that this was, as a teenager, I was like, oh, my God, this is Shannon Tweed. This is like the ultimate experience. Uh, I had the hugest crush on her and stuff. Next thing you know, she's helping me on this photo session. And she says, no, Gene, this is the point. It's going to look great eat right out of the pie and so i had the fork i had the stuff and he goes okay so he starts diving in and oh, wow. uh i got this unique shot that he had fun with it she loved it uh and the fact that the magazine was called pie magazine they were over the top oh, uh, yeah. so that was just lending a little bit of thought to the session uh and uh the opportunity both for him you know, the guy that's been photographed a million times mm -hmm. and me the first time photographing them and coming up with something different. So the Absolutely. lighting subject, the, you know, thinking about it ahead of time, a little bit of pre-planning came up with something that worked for everybody. Absolutely. Well, this is one of my favorite shots. Like this is really, really cool. And, you know, like just to hearing the story uh, behind it, that's, that's amazing. Because, you know, like sometimes I think, we see images, but we don't have that context, right? If someone would look at it, oh, it's just a, you know him eating the pie, but you know the story yeah. behind it that for this specific magazine and you know how this whole thing unfolds, how you even come up with this, that was extremely clever. And it tied into because I asked the author, uh, you know, I didn't read the article, but I had some, you know, I had a dialogue with the author to pick up on some of those points that it tied directly into you know, mm -hmm. the highlight of the interview. 
Absolutely. So let's jump into some more, I would say, sad stories. Um, can you tell me how the COVID affects your business and how you were able to overcome, you know, this two years of craziness? A lot of red wine. Okay. <laughs> I think no, kidding. that well, was, that was medicine for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, COVID hit the world in about March. Yes. Uh, my business, it hit late February because mm -hmm. my biggest client is international. Uh, they see the big picture. They see years down the road. And my year with them got canceled uh, before even social restrictions came in in March. And for me, it was a 100% shutdown right away, mm -hmm. everything. Um, and it was tough. It was tough because my business being more corporate, travel-based, cross Canada, uh, and even with a lot of retail uh, properties and architecture, all of that just went completely away. Um, and so there was complete shutdown and, you know, you go in some ways it's almost foggy, but you know, you go from, Hmm, okay. To panic to, Oh, I gotta, you know, there's the knee jerk reaction to try and do something to save or create an opportunity. And, you know, you, you sort of bouncing around the walls of your own mind and then you realize that everybody you're trying to talk to is bouncing around the mall the walls of their own minds. Mm -hmm. So there was that transition period until we all realized, yeah, everybody's in it together. Um, and the government programs were being discussed or being kicked around. And as a small business or sole proprietorship wasn't eligible for any of them. Uh, mm -hmm. So it was a full year before uh, anything even came to be revenue coming back to me in its most minimal form. So, yeah, racked up the bills, the lines of credit. Uh, it, was, it was harsh. Mm -hmm. uh, and as, a, you know, some of the stuff that came along that, I happened to have done a couple of movies prior to COVID, through referrals, uh, mm -hmm. as we were talking about. And Vancouver being a movie town um, and having nothing to do but spend time on the docks at my boat. Uh, we kind of laughed that there was friends that we'd made on the dock where we were adhering to social distancing because we would <laughs> gather in our dinghies in the water and everybody was grouped. But, you know, there might have been six or eight of us but we were all two by two or one by one in each of our dinghies outside, socially distanced. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were from the movie, a uh, number of friends in that were from the movie biz. So I got, you know, a bit more of a taste for that. And that led to some dialogues and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, some opportunities when things started opening up that I started doing more in the movie biz and my corporate architectural still hasn't come back mm -hmm. uh, the industrial work that's you know the, those projects still live on uh, and so I've been doing some of that uh, more of that um, and you know here in BC 
was all set to do a big, big industrial shoot, I guess almost a year ago or fall something. I forget ex exactly what it was. And then all of a sudden we got hit by the floods and the thing got completely flooded out completely yeah. underwater. I was like, you know, just give me a break. Uh, so having some diversity in what you can do, the equipment range to be able to uh, deal with different market sectors uh, mm -hmm. and the flexibility, the willingness to learn. I mean, I went from, you know, $3,000 a day on commercial projects to $300 a day on uh, some low budget movie uh, mm -hmm. time. So you got to be flexible in what you're doing and never be afraid to, or have too much ego to say, yeah, you know what? Time to suck it up, mm -hmm. do some new things, learn some new things, take some courses, uh, get yeah. involved in new areas. It's actually exciting and fun to learn new things. I, don't, yeah. I wouldn't ever want to be at the stage where, no, I know it. I don't need to do anything. I know it all. It's kind yeah. of a boring person to hang out with. Absolutely. And I don't yeah. want to be that person. I'm always excited about learning new things, meeting new people, trying new angles, working with new processes. Uh, that's mm -hmm. what keeps it fresh. That's what keeps it exciting. So yeah. uh, it's going to take me probably five years to recover uh, financially okay. from COVID. Just in terms of by the time you chip away at, you know, what you ran up, what you needed to pay back, uh, getting back to the financial position where you were before. Mm -hmm. And I'm in my 50s, so that's a, that's a tough hit as opposed to yeah. being in your 20s. Um, whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. So do you think we will be able to kind of came back to the, I would say, pre-COVID times or this is going to it's going to affect us for you know decades absolutely uh, we will come back uh, it's how you deal with it um, I started off my business and opening up studio in what was apparently a recession in the late mm -hmm. 80s um, adversity breeds opportunities uh, mm -hmm. adversity weeds out some of the competition it allows innovation to come forward um i created the action sets when photoshop came in so when people were saying it takes me forever to deal with stuff on the computer and i was one of those mm -hmm. people that it took forever to deal with i learned process i learned new ways of doing things so that i could be more efficient at what i do but more mm -hmm. importantly so that i could have people that work with me or for me be more efficient mm -hmm. so whether it's a recession or covid there's going to be a setback but then there's an opportunity to rise beyond that and work smarter work more efficiently work more creatively come up with new opportunities for your clients and for yourself Mm -hmm. So in many ways, COVID is like a recession. It, you know, it comes with its pros and cons. But just the fact that we're having this dialogue the way we are right now is definitely a COVID byproduct in terms of, yeah. you know, having people being able to learn, being able to experience, being able to uh, tap into opportunities uh, to benefit themselves, to advance their own businesses, to get 
motivated creatively uh, is something that, you know, is a, is a great takeaway. Uh, it's mm -hmm. just changing, you know, it's different. It's, it's another reason for the same type of thing that often happens. It's how you choose to react and work with it. Are you going to say, oh, that's it, I give up? Or mm -hmm. are you going to say, you know what? I'm going to learn about this new product or about this type of thing. Or I'm watching these movies or these TV series with a different eye. And all of a sudden, wow, you know, I started watching The Sandman. Uh, TV series on Netflix. Mm. Oh my God, it's spectacular. Uh, being open to visual opportunities and stimulations. And, uh, you know, I kind of um, laughed when I saw Renee Robin was talking about something. I, th I believe it was this one. I know she was all over The Witcher and stuff because she does wonderful creative work. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, sort of the world is catching up to her artistic visions uh, that she's, you know, getting some commercial opportunities from there. But she was referring to it and saying, you know, finally there's a TV show that sort of looks like it was built for me, meaning like for her. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm like, okay, yeah. You know, who's out there? Who do, who inspires you and what inspires them? Mm -hmm. Exposing yourself to those opportunities just brings about more creative uh, stimulation to your own thought process. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's a world of opportunities out there, and those many of those wouldn't have existed without COVID. Yeah, absolutely. The dialogues, the projects that are coming from it, the influences that are part of it. Personally, I hate, I don't know what the uh, boundaries on swearing on here, but I really <laughs> effing hate the fact that the behind-the-scenes stuff on the movie set, people have masks, and all you see is this. You can't tell wow. who's who. You miss the, you know, the historical elements. But in some sense, those are the historical elements because, yeah, yeah, everybody had to work, and you've got an actor there surrounded by all these people wearing masks. That's it. That's a sign of the times. Yeah. Um, as opposed to being able to see people's expression, really seeing who they are. It's like, all right. Uh, you deal with it, you move on. Mm -hmm. um, but I think those, you know, this this time really confuses people, right? Like, you know, I well, I can share my story with my son who um, he started grade one in the middle of pandemic. And, you know, he went to school with masks, the teachers with masks, friends were with masks, and he was so confused. Yeah. And he was so kind of like, he had no idea what's what's going on. We had to pull him out because he couldn't handle emotionally what's happening, right? Yeah. Um, so this is a little kid, but I'm guessing this is affecting all of us, right? Because for us as a photographers, you know, we know that, you know, face expressions is, is everything, right? And that's how we communicate. That's how we interact with each other. And with this whole thing was kind of being blocked for almost two years, um, you know, just messes you up, right? So, you know, like I talked to also, like on the top of that, I, I have this, I have a friends who are working in the medical and I don't want to go into this COVID rabbit hole, but apparently, you know, we are in pandemic when it comes to, you know, depression and then and, and all this, you know, mental health. And that's, you know, it's also worrying for, for, you know, what's what's the future is going to bring, right? Because we need to somehow recoup. But on the positive note, I think right now, speaking of our industry, like people are 
maybe not desperate, but what I want to say is like after this two years of, I'm not saying doing nothing, but like just try to figure out what the hell is going on and how I can adopt this. Like people are starving to do projects, right? Like I've met a couple of days ago with um, the college principal and they, they want to do some photo shoots for the students. They want to in- implement photography into their program. And, you know, like they just dying to do something to kind of get people together, to collaborate, to work with, with all, all sorts of different, you know, kind of um, industries, which they never thought they would ever work before. So I think, as you said, and I 100% agree, even this whole COVID was extremely difficult, but I think it's going to create a lot of, lot of new opportunities. And then, you know, hopefully this market opens to some different areas and it's going to be, you know, something that we can take advantage of. Yeah. I mean, if, if there's a big takeaway, if there's a worthwhile takeaway uh, from COVID, uh, I would imagine, or I would tend to say that you learn, you learn about yourself. Yes. Uh, I'm solo, single, had a girlfriend going into COVID that changed uh different things happen uh but and i don't mind admitting i had i had a dark period in there uh really deep dark period uh that was really tough to deal with i had to shut down a lot of things that i was involved in because i just couldn't handle trying to put on a happy face when i (laughs) wasn't feeling that um but if you're a creative individual or if you're someone that needs to have that creative stimuli, whether it's creative or whether it's just variety in your day to day, um, you learn that that's important. And to be able to shoot, to be able to have things that I was working with and shooting on made me feel worthwhile not have any of that going on and to because it was missing from my client work because everything was shut down it it put me in a dark place Mm -hmm. Um, and if it was just if I was just in it for the business you say okay turn that turn off that switch go over here do something else work on there okay fine whichever but um, I recognize that I need that stimuli i need that input for me to be a happier person and that in turn being a happier person generates its own positive energy which in turn works with others in terms of doing new things being involved in new industries for me it was the film and tv area um, and being able to be that positive individual that people want to engage with, which in turn comes back to the business validation. Mm-hmm. So promoting and recognizing that I need to have that creative stimuli almost accidentally becomes a smart business decision. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm doing things at a 10th of the daily rate, that I was doing beforehand. Oh yeah. So that was a takeaway. As a kid, I moved. My parents. We moved across Canada three, four times. Um, so wow. I was 
always having to be the new kid at school and always having to make mm -hmm. new friends or always having to leave those friends and move into new ones and then getting involved in the playground fights and stuff all over again and then mm -hmm. all over again. So that affects who you are. Yeah. Uh, but don't you think, you know, that before pandemic, before COVID, we were like literally... 24-7 on the go, right? There was no time to really think about yourself. There was no time to focus on, you know, on, on you. Um, it was just project after project. And, you know, like we were, as you say, it's like the stimuli. It's just kind of ongoing thing. And then when COVID hit and then we have to like, okay, this is a lockdown and you have to sit at home and just focus on yourself. Like that's where people were getting crazy because, you know, I went for dark times too during the pandemic because it was the times where like, how the hell, you know, like you're just sitting at home, you like, you know, like I know in, in your case where you don't have a family, you know, that's something that might be taking a little bit different, but even being with the family, you know, 24 seven, it just drives you absolutely bonkers, right? Oh, yeah. You're going crazy because you need a little bit of space. You need some projects. You need to kind of, invest some time into kind of you know things which makes you happy which is photography and when this everything is taking away from you like you just going absolutely crazy and i don't blame people that you know it's it's so hard to kind of and it, it wasn't like even a process we were just like literally overnight right it was just like you go 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 and then it's like shut down right <laughs> and yep. it's just like you on your own you deal with yourself um, I, you know, for me, what, what saved my ass to, to say I was going on the walks every single day for like hour, a couple hours, just to kind of get out of home, just kind of step out of, you know, the place where I live. So I could just take my mind of everything that is happening. But, you know, like I, I know different people take those type of things different ways, but yeah, for our mental health, that was disaster. And then also like, you know, the, 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 the media also were pushing this, this terrifying information where you're just like freaking out, you know, how does it going to affect me? How does it going to affect my family? Like, you know, you just constantly bombarded with all this negative, negative stuff. You know, there's, I think, limit to our mind too, or how much you can take it. And as soon as this whole thing is spilled, like you just absolutely losing your mind. So, you could you could spend the rest of the day, the week, the month, the everything talking about COVID and mm -hmm. the plus, the minus things. But when it comes down to it, it you get to decide what kind of person you're going to be. Yes, you have a choice, 100%. and you can wallow in all of that, or you could say, you know what, move on. It's part mm -hmm. of the experience. Yeah, I moved from this city to that city. I got my ass kicked in a playground fight. Am I mm -hmm. going to go hide from school or am I going to go back there the next day and, uh, you know, take it on, do what I want to, whether it's COVID, whether it's something, you are in, cho you are in charge of your own attitude. Mm -hmm. You get to make your own choices. You do have control. You can choose to make a path or to react and be stuck reacting. I prefer to make a path. Uh, I prefer mm -hmm. to help others knowing that you were in a tough time being supportive to others. Uh, and 
that's it's it's a much better feeling to be mm. positive and to be supportive and to be understanding uh, than to be reactive and combative and you know negative. Mm -hmm. So everything is context, and it's I, I honestly think it's just a switch that you flip in your mind as to how you react to the news or that. Okay, yeah, mm -hmm. heard that, got it, take away. Uh, turn it to your own mental advantage. Turn Absolutely. it to something that's empowering to yourself. Uh, and that will reflect in your work, that will reflect in your clients. And even if you're stuck on your own in a lockdown, um, it reflects back on you in terms of what you're mental state is and what you know mm -hmm. my girlfriend she tried the sourdough bread that i made and good on her because it was not good <laughs> it was really not good um, uh, some things are some parts of a recipe or a process whether it's building machinery or making bread are kind mm. of important and if you yeah. say, ah, whatever it's again it's all learning experiences absolutely uh, so, so we are a little bit, um, yeah, we're just running over an hour, but I have one more question, which I was sure. kind of waiting to the last, last part of our podcast, because you are Nikon ambassador. So what's the future? You know, can you tell me a little bit, is there's not, is there's anything cooking up, which Nikon is, um, <laughs> going to share with us or going to bring to the table? If you can you mean know, the fact maybe give us some secrets, not necessarily secret, but something which you yeah, can say. They got the secret weapon that they've got coming out with a camera that's going to be a phone and they're going to completely okay. turn the industry around from being phones with cameras to cameras with phones. Yeah, yeah I think there's a meeting on that one next week. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, no, that's uh, like most companies at that level. Uh, yes, I'm an ambassador. Yes, I bring their message. I'm there because I believe in the company and the product, mm -hmm. but they got their secrets. They got their stuff that are years down the way. Mm -hmm. uh, what's exciting is when you're working with a company that listens to its users. Uh, and sure, I have a closer ear than, you know, other people may feel they have, but I hear from people. I take those experiences and those thoughts and I pass them on to my contacts at Nikon, or sometimes mm -hmm. I'm dealing directly with the engineers when they brought us out to new york a couple of years ago to launch the mirrorless cameras and the z series we were talking to the actual guys that designed it that decided what was there and what was in there and that's pretty exciting uh because i mean there's parts of uh lightroom that are there because i was talking with the company and they put that in to enable my actions and a flow through from Lightroom to Photoshop that even Adobe could never get to work before. So that's kind of cool. Nikon, uh, the features, how things are being uh, used, the features built into the camera, uh, the fact that I can take my camera and I can plug it into my laptop, download the images that are on the camera, not even having to take the card out of the camera, being able to carry on shooting and now coming back and plugging in the camera again, and it knows where it left off. And now uh, mm -hmm. it'll only take those images that are new. 
I'm sure we've all screwed up where we had a camera, excuse me, where we had a card in a camera and we forgot to format it from the last job. And all of a sudden this business portrait that's just a short job is at the tail end of a wedding and you're like, oh my God, I got all this stuff on there and I completely screwed yeah. up my morning. Because to the club. Yeah, we've all done that. So anyways, Nikon, it's spectacular dealing with them and the innovations that are coming to the cameras. And at the end of the day, they still maintain the same reasons that brought me there in the first place, being the quality and the durability of the camera itself. And mirrorless is a wonderful new experience in terms of the quality that it has. But also I was amazed just getting used to the electronic viewfinder and mm -hmm. seeing live. You know, the easiest example is a sunset. When you mm -hmm. photograph a sunset with film, okay, you, you know, you, you know you gotta underexpose three to five stops. Uh, or with a digital camera pre-mirrorless, you're thinking the same thing, but you can check it right away and then say, oh, I gotta go more. Uh, whereas with mirrorless, you can lifetime see your exposure mm -hmm. in the viewfinder for where you want it creating silhouettes or turning the camera into uh, black and white mode for how you preview. Spectacular for shooting boudoir or fashion. Mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden you're seeing like flipping through black and white uh, fine art magazine. And this is now you live in the studio with your subject. Uh, phenomenal way uh, of having that. So the fact that you're dealing with a company that is open to listening to reacting to and creating and building these features into their products. Look at the firmware developments that have, you know, mm -hmm. come along in terms of the enhancements to the camera experience previously. I mean, every six months you'd have to buy a new camera. Now every six months you get a firmware update. How exciting is that? So yeah, that's, yes. that's, I think it's amazing because you can, because yeah. I think we're also getting used to our cameras, right? When you're just shooting and you just like learn how to process this whole thing. And then, you know, you yeah. don't have to switch, you know, because I remember when the, I'm sure you remember that times too, where the cameras were coming out every six months, you have to like relearn this whole thing, right? Because they just oh, yeah. change settings, they, they change buttons, they just move things around and you just like going to like wedding where you were used to kind of work quick and fast. And all of a sudden you got to kind of start this whole process all over again. But I know like, that was a good thing because you were learning. You have to think sometimes, but I think it was, depends on the projects, right? But if you do some stuff where, you know, like you have to just work efficiently and quickly, I think that's the future, which is really going to help to, you know, keep those cameras kind of to the highest standards and you don't have to just buy new ones. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it comes down to light and being yeah. able to see the light recognize the light uh and you know if i'm on a film set and you got to learn the dynamics of being on a film set as to you know when you've got your time versus you know working with their time and grabbing your lead actor and actress uh, the two of them the number one and number two and saying okay come with me we're going to do a shot and there's a spot you see where there's a crossover of the light that's coming through and if they face a certain way you get that edge spill of the light here and you mm -hmm. position you position her so the light's coming straight into her face 
and you put him on the angle so he's got cross lighting coming across and you come up with this portrait of the two of them that looks fabulous out of nothing no lighting that you've got on your own you got to see the existing area you got to recognize the opportunity you've got a camera though that can keep up with your exposures that can keep up with uh, the technical aspects that can work at 10,000 or 12,000 ISO um, and deal with the technical elements, but you still have to see that in the first place. Absolutely. And guess what? You've only got 20, 40 seconds to do all of that because that's the only time you get between takes. Um, another shoot that I was on last week, they had a Christmas set going on. It's two o'clock in the morning. There's no lights. There's only the lights that are on these Christmas decorations. And I've got to come up with a movie poster look for the number one and number two actors together. And I've got to find that spot. And uh, they recognize that I know what I'm doing. They trust me. And I'm literally moving them millimeters and micro adjustments on their pose. Okay, back, forward, yep, no, no, hang on, right there, yep, okay, okay. now look natural and comfortable and smile and looking over here, mm -hmm. and there's a relationship, there's, there's a dialogue that goes on where they trust me to make them look good. So whether it's actors on a set at two o'clock in the morning being lit by a couple of loose strings or Christmas lights, or a client that wants me to work with their restaurant opening where they need food and architecture and employee photographs to make them look good. It still comes down to the dialogue that I have with them mm -hmm. that I, they can be comfortable in working with me knowing that I will get the job done, get it done right and make them either look good or make them uh, enable them to uh, sell to their own clients and be profitable on their own. Mm -hmm. But again, so equipment is the one thing, but the experience and understanding lighting, it comes with, you know, 30 or 40 years of shooting and, you know, working on different, different projects. So look at the old Hollywood glamour style of black and white. Yeah. Uh, and interestingly, if you go, I mean, spectacular imagery uh, and a good takeaway from that is to use that in context of the current mm -hmm. image salons and the likes where judges say, oh, this image is wrong. There's this bright light over here that's taking off and the negative space and the blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah. You know, I, yeah. look at some of these classic images that we see and we take away and you realize they ignored or they would get like a 71 in today's judging standards. And yet these are seen as spectacular historical right. images. See Absolutely. those images, learn from those images, use them in context. That will help you see the light, work with the light, and get excited about working with the light. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it every minute of it. I think, you know, we've covered so many different things. Um, you know, too. I wish you, and I'm sure we're going to be in touch, but, you know, quick recovery from all this crap what happened um and you know let's let's get this industry going it seems like you know as, as we said there's a lot of lot of interesting things happening and there's bright future for us so i'm i'm sure awesome. it's gonna be all good absolutely
Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. We're going to be right. in touch. And um, yeah, thank you guys for watching. Bye-bye. Okay.